These today are called to missions. Carpe diem means seize the day. Because the opportunity knocks but once, page 119, we have myriad ways to challenge ourselves when considering job opportunities, major purchases, business ventures, or financial investments. Those kinds of ventures and investments can be risky, even scary. What if I don't like the new job? What if the market goes bust? What if I lose everything? I am the last person to give you financial or career advice, but one investment is definitely worth making. You may not see an immediate payoff, but it will have an incredible impact on your life nonetheless and the lives of others. Invest yourself in missions. Many in our world still have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, but we can use the opportunities and resources available to tell that good news. God's heart and mission is that all people everywhere know him, and the mission he has given us is no less. This study is a call to missions. It is a call to seize the day. Okay? So we're not involved in missions of any sort. Now is the opportunity to take up the challenge. God is challenging us once again. Page 121. Uh, First question. What did a change in plans lead to? When did a change in plans lead to something better? That is for you. When did a change in plans, you, you had these plans made, and all of a sudden the plans had to change, and you thought, oh boy, all these plans made, and now it's changed. Uh, did it work out for better? When did you have an experience when those change of plans worked out for better than you anticipated? It wasn't my plan, but I was working for an insurance company a long time ago. Hmm. And a friend of mine just came to me and asked me if I wanted to go into doing hair. Hmm. And months later, I went. Never change. <laughs> and it worked out. Yeah. All right. Good. 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 Anybody else? Okay. Let's look at the point on page 122 then. Someone read that, please. Abide in me, Take your place in God's mission to the nations. If your cause means you has ever taken a hit from a rock, you can thank Edward Benedictus. No, he didn't throw the rock, but he did protect your face. Hmm. Benedictus was a French chemist who one day accidentally knocked a glass flask to the floor. He expected to hear the glass shatter, but the flask stayed for all intents and purposes in one piece. It was a mystery until his assistant told him the flask had contained cellulose nitrate, a liquid plastic. The chemical had evaporated and the flask appeared to be clean. So the assistant had just returned the flask to the shelf without washing it. The evaporated chemical left an unseen film on the flask. In that moment, Benedictus gave the world safety glass. We don't know what Benedictus was planning to do in his lab that day, but an unexpected event led to countless saved lives. As we'll see in Acts 8, Interruptions to our plans can lead to great things, especially if God is bringing about the change. Okay. 
let's look then at what the Bible has to say. Uh, the first passage is on 123, uh, verses 26 to 27a. That's the first part of verse 27. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to This is this desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who were in charge of her entire treasury. So he was like the minister of finance that we know today. All right, in the in the in the administration of the Queen of Ethiopia, and we have some uh, definitions there uh, for uh, benefit. But let's uh, consider the setting that we have as we go into this passage in Acts. Acts opens with Jesus's final post-resurrection instruction and appearance in chapter one. The Holy Spirit's coming at the day of Pentecost. We see that in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. His mighty works, miracles, and all those things that was done through the disciples is recorded in, the, in Acts chapters 3 to 5. In chapter 6 to 7, we see the story of Stephen, one of the first deacons and also the first Christian martyr, first person to die for his faith. Stephen's death set off a wave, an avalanche of persecution among believers. And the result was that believers were, were scattered all over the place. They were driven to all over, all over the place, all over the world, all to very different countries that they were not familiar with. And, uh, and that included Philip. Philip came from Jerusalem. Uh, we saw that those accounts in, in Acts chapter 8. And uh, Philip came from a successful ministry in Samaria, and he was sent to a desert road. God said, listen, I want you to go. I got something for you to do on this desert road, and God sent him there. Um, and, uh, and he went. He was obedient to the call. Uh, not many people can say that. We have many people with stories of regret that they didn't answer the call after they found out, you know, how it turned out. So question number two. That's, a, that's a, a, a little bit of a background on the book of Acts as we go further into, uh, into the verses. But look at uh, question number two. What stands out to you about Philip's response to the call, as we, as we saw in the text? What stands out to you? He was obedient. He was obedient. He didn't uh, question God, did he? He, he, he could have said, well, Lord, that, what's, what's the name of that place? I don't know. I never heard that place before. Where's that? I don't know where that is. I, I don't, I've never been there. I don't know nobody there. I, I, you think I'm going to be safe there? No, he could have come up with all kinds of excuses like people do today, right? But he didn't. What else stands out to you uh, besides his obedience? Anything else? It looks as though, from what scripture says, that he immediately went. And that's just, that's, you know, absolute obedience. Mm -hmm. Trust in the Lord. Or whatever is ahead. That's right. Blind faith. Blind faith. God says, uh, 
get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, obviously known to be a desert road. And verse 27 says, so he got up and went. Just got right up and left. He didn't say, well, you know, let me think about that. Um, can I pray about that, Lord? You know, no. He just got up and went. Okay, ultimate obedience. Okay, let's read the uh, paragraphs on page 124. My wife and I used to enjoy listening to our youngest son argue his way out of something he needed to do. <laughs> he would use every form of logic and reasoning he could muster to convince us his way was better. Mm. The only thing he convinced me of was that he had great potential in the legal profession. <laughs> <laughs> when an angel of the Lord gave Philip the word to get up and go, verse 26, I'm sure he didn't try to argue his way out of it, but a lot of us likely would have. Mm -hmm. Philip had a good thing going. His ministry was strong. Earlier in Acts, Philip went down to a town in Samaria where he preached the gospel of Jesus and performed many signs. Great things were happening for the kingdom of God. Had I been in Philip's situation, I wonder if I would have followed my son's example, trying to convince God that this was not a good time to leave the work in, too good time to leave the work in Samaria. Not only that, but look where God was telling Philip to go, south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip was to leave a thriving evangelic Evangelistic. Matan, ministry mm -hmm. in Samaria to go to what even Luke described as the desert road. Mm -hmm. Nothing of significance was out there. Gaza was the last watering hole before the route through the desert to Egypt. We know from the text that Philip obeyed, and it appears that he went eagerly and joyfully. The reason Philip was even in Samaria was because of persecution. Acts 8, 1 describes the severe persecution that caused believers to head out of Jerusalem. Philip didn't respond to that persecution by hiding or cowering in fear. Instead, he went to Samaria, a dangerous step, since the Jews and Samaritans were not the best of friends. See John 4, 9. And when he got there, Philip kept right on talking about Jesus. After Philip's experience on the Gaza Road, he appeared in Asadotos, and he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Do you see the pattern? Jerusalem, Samaria, the Gaza Road, Asotas, and Caesarea. Philip embraced a lifestyle of going whenever and wherever God sent him. So should we. Right, don't leave that out now. Don't leave that out. And so should we. I didn't even look that up. Here I am, Lord, send me. Yeah. Here I am, Lord, send me. 
Make sure I get a book. The books are here. Get it after class. Okay. Uh, so we see a pattern. He went wherever God told him to go. None, that, never, despite the fact that he had a thriving ministry. A pessimist would say, boy, he was so busy in his ministry, he was dying to get out of there. You know, get some rest. No, he was obedient. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't cling uh, to, to anything. Wherever God, he was, he was truly a servant of God. God was the boss. And wherever the boss tells you to go, you go, right? Doesn't matter that you don't feel like going or you don't like going there. Whenever the boss told you to go, you go. Okay, a uh, couple of things we note uh, um, by way of background. This was not the only time or even the first time Philip had been obedient to God's call. Philip entered the region of Caesarea and preached the gospel there. According to verses 4 to 8, Philip's action demonstrates the gospel power to break down barriers. You know, the reason why some people don't go is because they don't believe in the power of the gospel. They look at, remember Jonah? Yeah. Why didn't Jonah want to go? Man, don't people do wicked, they deserve to die. You know, why should they go there? You know, he, first of all, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't think the people deserved to be saved, but some people don't believe that the gospel have the power to save people. Some people have neighbors or relatives and they're so bad, they say, boy, that person is so wicked, I don't think they can get saved. Right? They minimize the power of the gospel. And that's one of the reasons why some people don't go. Okay? They, they don't believe the gospel has the power to save from the uttermost to the guttermost. Oh, from the guttermost to the uttermost. All right? That's the way it goes, right? From the guttermost to the uttermost. All right? All right. So the gospel has the, power, has the power to break down all kinds of barriers, no matter what they are. Because great animosity had long existed between the Jews and the Sumerians, Samaritans, he could have used that as an excuse not to go. Boy, Lord, you know them people, we don't get along. You know, I can't, I can't bother with them people. You know, uh, Jews who had remained in the northern kingdom of Israel after the Assyrians had conquered it in the 8th century BC had intermarried with Gentiles whom the Assyrians had brought into the land. Their descendants lost their Jewish identity and were regarded by the Jews as half-breeds. Okay, nobody likes to be called a half-breed, right? But they were called half-breeds. When the Jews and the southern kingdom of Judah were allowed to return home from exile in Babylon in the 5th century BC, they refused Samaritan help in rebuilding Jerusalem. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't need uh, help from your kind. It's probably their response. And so they refused the help to rebuild Jerusalem. By the time Jesus walked in the land of the Bible, the relationship between Jews and Samaritans was greatly strained. Philip's ministry shows that the early church, under the power of the Holy Spirit's guidance, reached out to lost people, tell lost people about Jesus regardless of their cultural differences. Philip went there, Philip went where he was directed. Then, and even as he later did in leaving an effective ministry to go to the desert road for one man, just one man, God told him to go, and he went. 
So after Philip's experience on the Gaza road, he appeared again, according to the, the paragraphs we read, he appeared in Azotus and was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And of course, we see a pattern, Jerusalem, Samaria, Gaza, the Gaza Road, Azotus, and, and Caesarea. He embraced a lifestyle of going wherever God wanted them to go. Okay, do we have that lifestyle? Have we adopted that lifestyle? You know, God told you to go across the street to talk to your neighbor, are you willing to go? Still a work in progress. Keep working. All right, keep working. Okay, let's look at um, the other passage. Uh, the, the end of, of uh, that verse, verse 27b, says he had come to worship in Jerusalem. Who had come to worship in Jerusalem? No, who had come to worship in Jerusalem? Go on to the text. The Ethiopian. Okay, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So he had some kind of religious desire. God's opportunities to tell others about Jesus may involve sending us to unexpected people. People that never even cross your mind. Okay? And when it, when, it, when it comes up, we are kind of reluctant. Lord, I don't know them people. Who are they? Not only was Philip commanded to go to an unexpected location, but to a person who likely caught him off guard. Ethiopian eunuch? That type of person, such a person never even crossed Philip's mind. Obediently leaving to follow the angel's direction, Philip found an Ethiopian man just sitting there waiting. What was so unexpected but encouraging, what was so unexpected about encountering uh, such a man? Initially, it was his place of origin. The eunuch's place of origin should not be confused with modern day Ethiopia. In Old Testament times, Ethiopia was the kingdom of Cush. The high-ranking official in our story, that is the Ethiopian eunuch, hailed from modern-day Nubia on the Nile River. It was ruled by a queen mother with the title of Candace. That was a title, that wasn't a name. Okay, Candace was not a proper name. It was the official title given to the mother of a son too holy and pure to take on the mundane role of leading a secular nation due to the belief that he was a child of the sun. So they were, they were, they were um, idol worshippers. Ethiopia was considered the end of the earth by the Greeks and Romans. And so Philip was literally fulfilling Jesus' command for his followers to be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. So in that day, where he was sent to go, that was the end of the world. Nobody ever considered going there. Okay, it was kind of off limits. And so the Ethiopian was also, uh, by his description of him, he was a eunuch. Uh, more than likely he was emasculated. Uh, he was therefore forbidden under Old Testament law from fully participating in the Jewish faith because he was a eunuch. 
he had no children, and so he he could be trusted uh, to to deal with official matters of the royal court and not have a desire to seize the kingdom for a son that he may have had. So that's why he had this this high-ranking position, uh, uh, comparable to a minister of tourism, a minister of finance rather, in in the government that he was in. And so he was a very trusted individual. But he needed the Lord. He needed the Lord and God saw that he needed the Lord and God sent Philip to give him what he needed. Okay, let's look at the paragraph there on page 126. Uh, someone read that please. I'm a planner. I have several to-do lists going at once for my different projects. In fact, the first task each week on my, my to-do list is to create a to-do list. Mission trips are no different. When I lead mission trips, I always work out all the details, logistics, and schedule ahead of time. Planning is a wise thing, but obedience supersedes any list. Philip had no agenda. He had no idea what he would be, what he would be doing. He trusted that God had called him to the desert road for a reason, and that if he obeyed, God would show him what to do. It helps to have a heart for God and to be open to see the opportunities in front of us. What we might see as an interruption, Philip saw as an opportunity. His opportunity came rolling by in a chariot. The man inside was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. Ethiopia was not the same country we know today, but it was a thriving area and culture at that time. The Romans were fascinated with this advanced culture on, what was to them, the edge of the civilized world. So why was this official not in Ethiopia? Luke's account indicates he was interested in the religion of the Jews. He had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem as a God-fearing Gentile, a man who believed in the God of Israel, even though he was not a full convert to Judaism. <coughs> Philip didn't know all these details when he first saw the chariot rolling by, but he did see a foreigner and a black man, someone very different from himself. Philip grew up in a culture where the Jews primarily stuck to themselves, but that didn't matter in this situation. God had called Philip to go, and he looked past ethnic and cultural differences to see a man who needed the gospel. Okay, now notice, Philip didn't know all the details. Normally when someone's sending you somewhere, you want some details, right? Yeah. Philip didn't know all the details when he saw the first chariot rolling by. But he did see a foreigner and a black man, someone very different from himself. He grew in a culture where the Jews primarily struck, stuck to themselves but that didn't matter in his in this situation. God had called Philip to go, and he looked past ethnic and cultural differences to see a man who did what? Needed. Who needed the gospel. Good lesson for us to learn, isn't it? Yes. Question number three. What kinds of differences exist in our community that could be barriers to presenting the gospel? Language. Language, one, okay. The Haitians who don't speak... Uh, Haitians speak Creole, and so sometimes people shy off from witnessing the Haitians. 
Okay, what else? What other barriers do we see that exist in our community that 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 presents us from presenting the gospel? Hmm? Oh yeah, some people think they're better than them. Okay, they don't uh, they don't need it. Well, how do we recognize an opportunity to share the gospel? Hmm? When an opportunity arises, embrace it. Okay. Do we look for those opportunities? Are those opportunities on our minds when we go out and we encounter individuals? You standing in a line waiting to pay a bill somewhere. Do you see that as an opportunity to share the gospel? Yeah. Some people do. You know, when uh, when you're in a conversation and something particular comes up, you know, when I hear people talk about how, how hot the weather is and how, how hot the sun is, boy, that's a good opportunity right there. Well, you don't know. Well, you don't know hell is worth it. Yes. You know? Are you prepared not to go there? You know, a good opportunity. So we find good opportunities in, in a lot of ways to share the gospel. Take advantage of them. Take advantage of them. And, and, and there's... In just about every conversation you have, there, there's an opportunity to present the gospel. Because people are always complaining about something, right? Use that as an opportunity. Okay, we have another passage, Acts 28 to 30, uh, verses 28 to 35. That's on page 123 again. Huh? Page 123, page Look at page 127. How would you begin a conversation with a total stranger? For Philip, the door of opportunity swung wide open. Isaiah 53 as a whole addresses the suffering servant and wonderfully points to a Messiah who was sacrificed for us. In fact, Jesus did, Jesus did and said many things during his ministry that fulfilled prophecies from Isaiah 53. And we have those passages there that highlight that. Now here was an Ethiopian asking about such an important prophetic passage about Jesus. But Philip didn't merely interrupt the passage. 
interpret the passage beginning from the scripture, from that scripture, Philip shared the gospel. He began there, but he didn't stop there. For those of us who struggle to start a conversation with someone we don't know, the feeling may be compounded when we are on a mission and step into another culture. But God meets us in our obedience. He empowers our obedience and willingness to go by opening doors ahead of us. And when our hearts are prepared and under his lordship, he will give us the words to say when we need to say them every time. Sure, many of us have had that experience, right? The Ethiopian eunuch responded with faith and acceptance. And who knows what role he played when he got home in sharing the same good news with others in the Ethiopian government and nation. Perhaps this was the beginning of something huge. It all started with one man's obedience to go. A couple of things come out there in that uh, those paragraphs. One, how would you begin a conversation with a total stranger? For Philip, the door of opportunity swung wide open. God orchestrated it that way. Okay, secondly, for those who struggle to start a conversation with someone we don't know, the feeling may be compounded when we are on a mission to step into another culture. But God meets us in our obedience. And then the third point is, the Ethiopian eunuch responded with faith and acceptance. And it all started with one man's obedience to go. Sometimes the response that we get can surprise us. I remember we were, we were doing um, door-to-door ministry one time in Atlanta. And we would go from house to house, witnessing the people in, uh, in the neighborhoods. And uh, we went in this porch, and there was this young lady on the porch, sitting on the porch, fixing her hair. And uh, she was quite open to uh, sharing the gospel with her. And we shared the gospel, and when we finished, we, uh, we gave her the invitation. And she said, yes, I'd like to accept Christ as Savior. Wow, that was unexpected. You know, because everybody as we went to before, somebody had an excuse. Everybody had an excuse. And I said, um, uh, excuse me? <laughs> this kind of caught you off guard, you know? I said, okay, let me go over it one more time. You know, because I figured she probably, you know, missed something. So we explained it again to her, and she said, yes, I'd like to accept Jesus as Savior. You know, so I thought about that when I looked at the Ethiopian eunuch's response. And God works. He opens the door ahead of us. He prepares the way. Um, just recently, uh, a white one, first day, they were in the park holding a get the young men and pension. So they set up the chairs and they had food for them. And every time he would go, he drove in the car and get around the neighborhood. It didn't work. And he tried to talk to them, it didn't work. So finally, he got two of the young men to come and come there, Dr. Dunn's daughter. So I told him, with those two, let them take a seat. And then, those who are going to draw the crowd because if they see them sit down, they know they're going to follow them. It works all the time. Okay, question number four. 
God goes before us and empowers us, how should this truth shape your involvement in missions? God goes before you and empowers, empowers us. How will this shape your involvement in missions? If you know that God is, God is involved, are you going to be uh, less reluctant? No, because you know God is involved, right? Alternate question, what ways do we see God at work in this passage? As we read about this Ethiopian Europe, how do we see God at work here? Hmm. Do we see God's sovereignty here? Absolutely. God orchestrated the whole thing. Isn't that a source of encouragement to us? Mesa, whenever you go to witness to someone, you're not alone. You're going to have some help. You know, I remember we were doing an open air meeting one time in, in, in Jacksonville, Florida, on this open lot. And, um, you know, you were the people in the neighborhood, you expect them to come out and, you know, and um, there was this lady, she was really highly intoxicated. And um, as I was preaching, uh, she tried to come up to take the mic from me so that she could sing. You know, and, uh, and I'm, I'm there trying to preach the message and she's coming up and she's trying to grab the mic and, and so it ended up, with, we had to get two guys on, on either side of me, one on that side, one on that side, to keep this woman from coming to take the mic away from me. But other people were there, the other people came and they listened to that and, and she was not a distraction. God orchestrated it that way. You know, she would have been a major distraction if God was not involved and people got saved that night. People came to know Christ. So we see God orchestrating the situation here uh, with this Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. What ways do you see God working? Well, we saw it, we answered that. Notice verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Okay, so Philip, God took him to the area showed him the chariot. He said, now I want you to go and jump right up in that chariot. Okay? And he was obedient. He wasn't reluctant. He said, but I don't know that fellow. Who he is? Suppose he shoot me. Right? He didn't. Question number five. What can our class, our group do to, to be more engaged in missions? What can we do as a class to be more engaged in missions? Other than what we're doing already. Is there something else we can do? We pray for missions, missionaries, we support them. What else can we do? Ask, huh? ask God to uh, literally open up your eyes and give you the words to speak throughout the day and trust Him to do it. That He will fulfill and answer that request. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. We can pray to utilize those opportunities that God gives us. Every single day there's an opportunity for any one of us to share the gospel but we don't think about it as missions we let it go we let it go by so ask God to allow us to be able to see those opportunities and take advantage of them okay live it out how do we apply this lesson today as we close it's a big world out there and it has a big need for the gospel do you agree oh yeah especially in these last days what will you do to be a part of God's mission to the nations? 
One, pray daily. Pray for others as, as they go on mission. Place their picture someplace you'll see it regularly and pray for them each day whenever you see their face. Okay, so we can pray for those who are going. Give above and beyond. Give freely and sacrificially to support the missionaries and mission organizations with whom your church partners and supports. We're doing that now. Challenges you can do a little bit more. Go yourself. Boy, this is a challenge, isn't it? As a group or a class, talk about different ways you could go and be directly involved in sharing the gospel to the nations. Don't be afraid to dream about going for a weekend, a week, a month, or a lifetime. And uh, the church I used to be a part of, we used to do that every summer. Everybody would plan their vacation to go on a mission trip. And uh, primarily at that time, it was in the southern part of the United States with an organization that was reaching, planning churches in the southern United States. So we would go every summer for two or three weeks, and the longest was three weeks. But two weeks at a time, we would, uh, we would stay at a college campus where we would have our meals and everything and we would choose a neighborhood, we would set up a tent or use a building to have meetings at night and uh, invite people out to the meetings. But during the day we would go knock on doors and witness the individuals and seek to bring, bring individuals to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge that can be done as a group because we've done it before. Okay, let's look at how we wrap it up then. You don't need an unexpected interruption to spur your passion for God's mission. You don't even need a direct command from God. You already have it in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. The opportunity is there. Go for it. Amen?